Get dirty. Get gritty, grammy, greasy, slimy, dirty, dusty, dungeon, grungy. Get dirty. So go get messy, mussy, gloppy, sloppy, filthy, nasty, ugly, dirty. Get dirty. Dirty, dirty. Hello, welcome to Amostroy. Allow me to introduce you to my new assistant, Charles. Hello and welcome to a Mo Story. My name is Joe Enos, and this is a weekly podcast where I cover different topics and provide stories from my own life. I'm a 47-year-old gay man, an immigrant from the Azores Islands, a brother to seven siblings, a healthcare worker, a Seattle resident, and sometimes just a guy with a microphone ranting. Thank you for listening to a Mo Story. I think I could probably listen to him say Azores Islands over and over again, all day long. Too bad. He's only digital and he doesn't have a real dick. Who am I kidding? I didn't get an assistant. I don't even have a full-time job right now. That's just a digital voice recorder that records prompts or whatever you put in the text. But one could dream. This is episode number 14. I had originally recorded a different subject for episode number 14, sex, masturbation, and online etiquette. But I think it's a little early in our relationship to go into that subject matter and some of the things I was going to tell you. I still have it recorded, so it's not going away, but I think we'll put it at a later date, let's just say. Episode number 14 now is going to be about travel. But before we get to my funny travel stories, I have a confession. I actually agreed with something that Marjorie Taylor Greene said. Oh, God, it even hurts just to say it out loud. God damn it. So it was reported yesterday that Congress has decided to not enforce the dress code. And Marjorie Taylor Greene said it's despicable and disgusting and that she can't believe that they're just going to allow people to show up dressed any way they want. And I saw some photos of people in sweatshirts and like shorts and Ugg boots and just looked kind of terrible. And what I agree with her is, is that I think they should have to dress up. I mean, I think that they should be representing the country, not look like a whole bunch of slobs. I'd also think if you were a politician, you would want that to be something that you would be okay with or dressing up because it's about presentation. And if people in your district are seeing you dress up like a slob, they probably feel like that's how you treat everything. Lackadaisical and you don't put any care into things. And I know clothes don't make people any smarter or any better, but I think in this specific situation, it's all about the presentation and what they're there to do. And I think that if you were to see someone come up and expect their time as a speaker, you would look at them like, what the hell are you wearing? And then the focus now becomes about what they're wearing and less about what they're saying. You know, when you give someone an inch, they take a mile. I mean, there's people like Lauren Bieber who you can't trust that woman. And you know, she's going to show up in something really slutty that Ted Cruz is going to get all excited about and pay her on Venmo again. I'm going to take it back. I actually didn't agree with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She agreed with me. So there. So uh, my conscience is clear. Thank God. Now that that's out, Let's start discussing some of my funny travel stories. Prior to 2019, me purchasing this house and then the global pandemic, I traveled quite a bit and enjoyed traveling. I still do enjoy traveling, but I spent most of my time and extra money on remodeling my house that I currently live in. And then the global pandemic happened and I've just been kind of working and staying close, but I'm getting that itch and kind of ready to start spreading my wings, if you will, and venture out into the world again. Now, since I can remember, I think maybe since I was three years old, I've had a passport. It's a thing that immigrants do. You always have your passport ready just in case. And my parents were very adamant and made sure that we always had our passports. And so as an adult, I've never had a passport that I haven't renewed or expired. I always have one ready to go. 
I even have miles on two different airlines that I can actually use, and I have quite a few that I could book tickets with. And that was kind of what started me thinking about travel and this podcast. I think as a closeted young gay man, I've always thought about going away or, or seeing different things just to see if there was something else out there. So even as a kid, I've always wanted to travel. For my graduation from high school, I received two road atlases, one for Montana and the other for Europe because I wanted to backpack across both of them. When I was 18, I was obsessed with the movie A River Runs Through It, and I think that's why I wanted the Montana Road Atlas because I wanted to go there because I swore I was going to see like some hot men like Brad Pitt and the guy with the brown hair that I was completely infatuated with at that time in my life. My travel started very early as a young child. My parents kept our home in Portugal for many years until two years ago, actually, and we would go back and forth during the summers. When I was 14, my oldest sister was living in Hawaii because of her husband being in the army, and she was in school, and her husband was going on a detail to Korea, and so she was gonna need some help over the summer with her five and four-year-old, and so my mother shipped me to Hawaii. That was the first time I traveled by myself. Sadly, I've not been to Hawaii since, because as a 14-year-old kid, kind of going through puberty, stuck on an island with your sister, no driver's license, and two little kids, five and four, on a military base, was horrible to me. And I even remember writing my friend a letter saying, if you send me $200, I promise I'll pay you back. I don't know when, but I will, because I wanted to get off the island. And I know I should give it another try because I was a 14-year-old kid stuck on an island. So yes, one day I will go back to Oahu and do it proper like an adult. The first time I went to Europe by myself, I went to Dusseldorf for a work trip. And it was a kind of a quick trip, but I had gotten to Dusseldorf and decided that I was gonna go run around and see all kinds of stuff. And this is when I learned very quickly that I was a small town boy with not a lot of experience of the world. While in Dusseldorf, I decided that I would walk around and kind of get the lay of the land of the city, see a couple different things. And immediately I became aware of the fact that I was lost. I mean, really quickly. And so I then tried to remember my way back and I have really good memory of like streets and also landmarks and things like that. I'm usually really, really good. But for some reason, this did not happen this time. I started getting further and further away from where my hotel was and where the central area was. And so at some point I was in a kind of a neighborhood, it, it would seem. And I saw a woman walking in. So I went up to her and I didn't speak German. Obviously she probably didn't speak English. And I just said, train, train because I knew that my hotel was by the train station. She didn't understand what that meant. So then I said, choo-choo, choo-choo. And that's when I learned the international symbol for train is not choo-choo, choo-choo. So I kept walking and kept walking. And finally, I saw a sign for the airport. And I walked all the way back to the airport and got a taxi back to my hotel. Something around four or five miles is what I ended up walking when I got lost. From that day on, I always took a piece of paper from the hotel room that stated the hotel's name and the address just in case. Now, in 1999, the internet was still really new and a lot of things were not developed the way they are today. And so there wasn't a lot of access to getting information about you know different cities and things like that because people were still learning about how to develop websites and it wasn't a common thing like it is today where every country has a website, every hotel has a website. So in those days, there was something called the Spartacus 
travel book. The Spartacus travel book was a book that was about gay travel. It included all of Europe and the United States, and I believe it even included Asia and India as well. It was about $49, and it covered everything from where to stay, where to shop, where to cruise, what bars, what restaurants, anything you needed to know about being gay in that individual country, and then it would break down to really popular cities. It also would include public standard and laws that you should be aware of, and it included the United States. It was a great little book. I had purchased one, and the first time I was going to use it was going to be in Frankfurt, Germany. And so I took it with me, opened it up at the hotel, and looked at where to go. And so it had listed some clubs, and so I wrote down the address for the clubs. And at this time, I was out, but I was still a little closeted, meaning I wasn't so forwardly asking where gay things were at this time. So I just presented the front desk with the address of where I wanted to go and said if they could help me to get a taxi. And so the nice lady did. Taxi showed up. She spoke to him in German and showed him the address, and we were on our way. I had no idea where this was. Next thing I know, we're on the Autobahn. And it's like 40 minutes we've been driving. I'm like, holy shit, where the hell am I going? And so we get to this little town, and we're driving around, and we get to where the club is, and it's closed because it's a weeknight. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And I didn't pay attention to any of that. And so the taxi driver continues to drive around and he sees some young people. And so he rolls down the window and he starts talking to them. And they tap on my window and I roll it down. And he goes, the driver tells us, you want to party? Yes, party? You come with us. I was like, hell no. I've seen this movie. I'll end up in a freaking ditch somewhere and they will never know who the fuck I was and how I got here. And also, I had not seen any taxis up to this point other than the one I was in. So I just asked them if they could instruct the taxi driver to go back to the hotel. And so we started back to the hotel. He said a couple different things, but he had to stop for Petro. So he did. He came back from paying for the Petro and he handed me a candy bar and he said, feelings, feelings. I took that as he felt bad. And so the whole trip was 58 marks. I mean, this is before the Euro. And I think in those days, 58 marks was quite a bit. So now I was pissed. And so I went upstairs for a minute, came back down, and I went to the front desk. And I said, where are the gay bars? And she said, around the corner. And literally, it was around the damn corner. I had gone freaking all the way down to the middle of nowhere for this club that the Spartacus listed that was closed during the week. So now I go around the corner, and there was this bar that was kind of like a leather bar, but not, I would say, the same as an American leather bar. It was more kind of like a mixed kind of bar. And I, you know, started drinking my little light beer like I always do and try to pace myself because I had a tendency to drink too quickly because I was by myself. And when I was nervous, I would, you know, drink these little light beers over and over again until I was drunk. And at some point there was this giant, like six foot five, 300 pound Hungarian guy who all of a sudden was like interested in me. And I was like, what the fuck? And so he finally came over. He was like, kind of like, you know, winking and waving at me. And I was just kind of, was surprised, honestly, more than anything. He finally came over and he started talking and I, I said, oh, I don't speak German. And he said, oh, American. And I said, yes. And he goes, oh, okay. And so then he grabs my arm and he takes me to the back, which is like a back room. Next thing I know, this guy is like all over me and he pulls my dick out and he puts it in his bum. And next thing I know, he is screaming, stronger, 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 because he doesn't know the word harder, harder, harder. It was like watching a Chihuahua fuck a Great Dane. I mean, that's how ridiculous this was. He was literally 6'5", probably 350 pounds, if not, you know, even a little bit more or less. 
And I was at, in those days, five, seven, and 100 and maybe 30 pounds. It was hilarious. But you know what they say, when in Rome or when in Frankfurt. Frankfurt is also the city that I attended a bathhouse event and saw the world's largest dick I've ever seen in my life. I mean, gigantic. And this guy was like, totally proud at it. And he wanted me to try to like do something with it. And I was like, where do you think I'm gonna put that? I mean, this thing was huge. It was like the size of a baseball bat in width and it, almost in length, it seemed like to me. I didn't even make any attempts, but I will tell you, some of those German boys, Jesus Christ, I don't know where they carry those things. Here's another thing about Frankfurt in Germany. When you sit and look at men, it's hard to tell who's straight and gay because they all dress so nice and dress so cosmopolitan, if you will, or like European with the tailored suits and like the really high gloss shoes that they all look gay to me. It was a real challenge. Like in the morning, you'd stand and watch everybody going to work, trying to figure out who was gay and who wasn't. After my tour of Germany, I then went to Hong Kong and went to Paris and then had a really amazing trip to London. I went to this club and I don't remember the name of it. It was in the corner of the West End and it was kind of a big club and you walked in and you went kind of down and I was there by myself and of course I was drinking my little blonde light beers and I met this guy and we started dancing and kind of hanging out and eventually he asked me if I wanted to go back to his place. And I said, sure. So he got a taxi and we went back to his place. The way I could describe where his place was at night would be, it just looked like a lot of houses that were all stuck together down one row. And so we get to his place, he sticks in one of those skeleton keys and we go to the down floor. And I'm just kind of like following because I don't really know, you know much of what's going on at this point. And so we get to the down floor. It's a beautiful condo, I mean, amazing. And he says, do you wanna go swimming? And I said, swimming, where? And he goes, I have a swimming pool. And you go down one more floor and he had an indoor fucking swimming pool. I was like, what the fuck? And so I said, what do you do? Like, how do you live here? And he told me he was a solicitor, which if you don't know what that is in the United States, that's a, a lawyer. And he, and he was apparently very successful from what I could tell. He explained later to me that he owned the building and that there was three flats and that he had the bottom flat because he wanted to have the swimming pool. And then he rented out the other two. Knowing what I know now, he was very successful because I have friends that live in London and I know how expensive it is. And then those days, I had no idea. I was still a little naive on what it costs to live in other cities at that point. Morning comes, then he makes me a tea and some toast. And I'm, you know, trying not to be overstaying my welcome. And so I let him know that I was going to leave. And he said, oh, did you want me to call a cab for you or a taxi? And I said, no, 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 it's fine. I'll walk and I'll um, get one along the way. And when I walked out, my God, it was daylight. I am wearing a pair of 26-inch waist diesel jeans and a American Apparel low V white t-shirt that now has, both of them have been on the ground and have been taken off. And I was wearing in a club all night and I am walking down the street in London in the daytime and all of the people coming out of these buildings are all professionals and all solicitors in his neighborhood. It was so fucking embarrassing. I did the world's largest walk of shame in London. I had to walk at least a good four blocks before I saw a taxi. It was like the funniest damn thing. I even went to this little like coffee shop to kind of like get a pastry and the people and they turned around and looked at me like, where the fuck are you from? This is where my skill of a second language always comes in play because I just pretended that I was Portuguese so that I didn't have to speak any English. On another one of my trips to London, 
I was excited because Mamma Mia was playing. And so I landed, I went straight to the ticket office, I was able to get a ticket, and I got into the show, and I fell asleep. I know, can you believe it? I was so tired from flying that I fell asleep. So then my next trip, about a month later, I was there again, and I was able to get another ticket and watch Mamma Mia and not fall asleep. I had a friend that I had met in college, and his name was John, and I used to call him Lady John because he'd always go, oh my God, oh my God. I'd be like, Lady John, stop it. And he was really into Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, John was more green than I was, and he was just coming out, lived at home, had a bedroom with Buffy the Vampire Slayer shit everywhere, and I told him, this is why you don't get laid. And he and I worked together at Northwestern, and so I had started hanging out with him and kind of helping him and whatnot. I took him to have his first cocktail and his first time in a gay bar. And we had talked about different things, and I finally convinced John that we should go to London and stay with my friend Jose and Ian, and we could go to Paris then as well. So take John to London, and John, for about eight of the ten days we were there, literally was taking fucking pictures of everything and in my face with that fucking camera. I was ready to kill him. So finally one night, we decided that we were going to go to Barcode, which was kind of a dirty place at the time, but I was ready. I needed a little smut after dealing with Lady John the whole fucking week. And so we go to Barcode, and I'm like, John, we're going to be here for a while. So when I get you a Coke, don't pound it down. Next thing I know, I hear, he fucking drank the whole thing. I'm like, my God, John, pace yourself. You're such a dork. Every time I would stop, John would hit me. He was so close to me. I'm like, I'm going to kill you if you don't back the fuck up. And so finally, John kind of calmed down and was like sitting and just kind of watching and whatnot. And I saw the world's hottest fucking Scottish rugby player you had ever seen in your life. I mean, amazing. And I told John, I'm going to make out with him. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to go make out with him. And he's like, how? And I'm like, watch. And so I like pretty much really didn't even think that was going to happen. I was just trying to be like confident and like, you know, a little show off, but sure enough, I got on the dance floor, started dancing right by him. Next thing I knew, he was like grinding on me, and before the night was over, we were making out. Mama still got it. The next day, we were off to Paris, and I had bought Eurorail tickets to go to Paris in the channel. And so we were getting ourselves ready and whatnot, and I noticed something on the tickets. I'm like, oh, fuck. I bought the tickets for the right day, but I bought them for a year return, meaning like we were going to come back for a year. So I was like, shit. So we had to go to the Eurorail office, and I explained to them what happened, and they were nice enough to let me know that they weren't refundable, but they would honor the price if I wanted to buy the same ticket for the return when we were really coming back. So I had to do it. I was stuck. Another trip that I took Lady John on was we went to San Francisco. He had never been, and so we went to San Francisco. We stayed with my friend Howie, and Howie was going to New York, and so we stayed at his place while he was gone. Well... We went out a couple nights, and I was on the prowl, man. I was, like, it must have had the hornies of a 16-year-old or 17-year-old because I was trying to literally get laid. I mean, you could have touched me, and I would have taken you home. That's how bad it was. And fucking John literally meets some guy and goes home with him. And I had to go back to my friend Howie's place by myself. I was like, son of a bitch, on our last night. I could not believe it. And so I'm like, John, what did you guys do? He's like, you know, stuff, Joe. John was always very, like, scared to tell me different things. And I'm like, just tell me. And he's like, you know, above the shirt kind of stuff, Joe. And I'm like, oh, my God, John, you're such a little lady. Side note about John, my grad school alumni had a pride party one year when I lived in Chicago, and I brought John, 
And there was a guy there that everybody was so annoyed by. His name was Mitch. He was the most annoying person ever in grad school. Like, you, if you got stuck doing an assignment with Mitch, you're like, oh, fuck me. Because he just, it was just such a fucking ordeal. And so I introduced him to John because I'm like, you know who would be perfect for Mitch? John. And they are still together to this day since 2006. Before I'd met John, I had started kind of seeing this boy for a short period of time, but he was a flight attendant and he was going to Amsterdam and he asked me if I wanted to go and I said, sure. And so he had me go to the airport and I bought some weird I-90 something percent off ticket with his uh, badge and so there I was. I was on a KLM flight to Amsterdam. When we got to Amsterdam, we ran around and had a blast. I bought a pair of chaps that Mr. Uh, Bees in Amsterdam. And the funniest thing is how they have you fit the chaps is they have you go in these dressing rooms and the little uh, curtain or door that closes actually goes over your face, but not over your body. And you're in the store window. It also happened to be Queen Beatrice's mother's day, which they call it the Queen's Day, which is nothing but a fucking party and no public standard or laws for 24 hours in that city, which is even crazier. And that's where you see where they have the huge parties on the canal with the boats, with all the people dressed in orange. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. But we weren't staying in the central area. We were staying in this place called The Hog. And we had stayed out way too late drinking and we missed the last train. So we had to sleep inside of the train station in a downtown area of Amsterdam until the next train started early in the morning. Shortly after this, I met my first boyfriend, Greg, in Chicago. And we moved in together, or I moved in his house, and we started living together. And within no due time, we bought a second place in New Orleans which we would go back and forth to as much as we could. Sometimes I would even drive there, and that was a blast. Around the same time, I got the opportunity to go to Argentina with a couple of people that I knew. And so we went, and the first night we were told we should go to this place called Callahan's. And it was like an Irish pub, but they said it was gay or gay-friendly. And so we go, and we walk in, and it doesn't look necessarily gay. I, I saw like a lot of, you know, just women and men, and it's like, huh. So we started dancing on the dance floor, and this guy was dancing next to me, and I said, are you gay? And he goes, no, I just danced like one. Now, it is February in Argentina, and it was fucking hot as hell in these places, and so some of us started to try to take our shirts off, and they told us we could not. We needed to keep our clothes on. So we left, and I was kind of pissed, and so I got in the taxi, and I'm like, I'm going to ask the taxi driver where we should go, you know, for like a gay bar or gay club. And so I said, senor, Digimes donde esta la barro para maricons, which translates, sir, where are the bars for the faggots? And he said, America. And I was like, fucking asshole, America. And he goes, no, Baru America. We pull up to this place, and it is spelled A-M-E-R-I-K-A. And we go up to the doors and go to the little bouncer station where they had, it was kind of in a glass enclosure, and they tell us it was 45 Argentinian dollars and that it was all you can drink. And I said, can you take your shirt off in here? He goes, oh yes, it's very recommended. And we opened the doors of that club and it was fucking out of control and hopping. One, there were so many Americans and Europeans there because there was a cruise that was a gay cruise that was leaving the next day for uh, Montevideo. So they were all there partying. They brought out giant buckets of beer and liquor and they were literally put on the bar with mixers and you just make your own drinks. It was the most amazing thing. We walked out of there at two in the afternoon, we were not doing drugs. And I remember the sunlight thinking to myself, oh my God, why is it so bright? And we then went back to our rooms and kind of like 
took a little shower, and then went and sat by the pool. And I came back to Chicago in February with the world's most reddest sunburn you'd ever seen. Because I fell asleep on my chair by the pool. Another funny trip was my new boyfriend Greg and I one time. Uh, I had to go do something in Cleveland, and he came with me. And it was just like a quick day or two I was going to be there. We decided we were staying downtown Cleveland. We were going to go out. And so we went to this gay bar. And we were in there, and people were just kind of, you know, it was a weeknight. They were just kind of, you know, chill and whatnot. But we went to the bathroom to pee, and these guys came in, and they were kind of like, it was, you know, the kind of the corral-style peeing where you just pee into the big, long tube kind of thing. We were there just peeing and whatnot, and these guys look over, and they go, are you guys porn stars? And we were like, no. And they're like, are you sure? We were dying laughing because we're like, okay, anywhere else, we're just like basic guys. And here in Cleveland, you guys think we're porn stars. But the best part. Are you ready? The best part. This is like, I'm not kidding, February, maybe early March. It was fucking freezing in Cleveland, okay? It was snowy and gross. And we were walking down the street back to our hotel from this gay bar. And there was a guy who was walking. And he had on a white fur coat and white mesh leggings. And you could see he had the world's fucking giantest dick with a big old heart on as he was coming towards us. And we were like, what the fuck? And he opened up his coat right as he walked by us and showed us. We were like, oh my God, it was so fucking crazy. In Cleveland. One year, Greg and I had nothing to do for Christmas. We had decided we weren't going to do either side of our families. And so we decided, let's go to Paris. So we bought last minute tickets with our miles and we went to Paris. And it was a fun trip, but you know, when you get to Paris on Christmas Eve, there's nothing open. And we literally were just walking around aimlessly because it was fucking freezing too. And we couldn't even find like a basic restaurant at that point. We went to this bar though, I always remember it. Um, and I wish I would have bought a t-shirt then because it's gone now. It was called Le Moustache. But on the way home, we sat in business class next to each other and we beat each other off in, in the seat, which I thought was so funny. I nicknamed it the Half a Mile High Club since we weren't in the bathroom. Greg and I were once on our way to the airport in New Orleans from our condo in a taxi and we got a flat tire on the side of the highway. And this limo pulled up and said, finish paying him and I'll take you guys. And he took us to the airport. We made it barely enough time. I have this little thing I do whenever I go to Europe. Anytime I'm in like a central area and there's a whole bunch of gypsies or Roma that are coming up near me and whatnot, I always keep my arms out so they won't come near me. And they usually will try to talk to you in English or they'll have a little sign. And I always go, oh, sorry, don't speak English. And by the time they realize that I'm away, they're like, fucking asshole, because I just spoke English. Sometimes I will pretend that I don't even speak any English, and I'll just speak Portuguese, and they don't understand it, so they'll just leave me alone. Greg and I had decided one year that we had a friend, Jose, of Jose and Ian, that lived in London. They had split up for a short period of time, and little Jose was from Barcelona, Catalonia, and he um, was living in Barcelona, and so we decided we were going to go visit him. So we left on the 4th of July, and we went for 15 days. We had so much fucking fun, but let me tell you, we were not accustomed to the late nights. And so we would be out till like five or six in the morning every single night. And then we would get to up and we would go to try to get food and there would be no warm food because we'd always be at siesta time. So we, I'm not kidding, for eight days that we were in Barcelona alone, we ate only cold tapas every single day. But one night, Jose had known this American that was visiting and doing a language exchange and he had rented this apartment and it was the exact apartment that Picasso had painted the Catalan flag from the window. And they actually had a little fake one there, which was really cute. It was right in the same area of where the Picasso Museum was. It was really cool. We then took the train to Sitges and stayed the rest of the time there, and it was a lot of fun. It was the first time I've ever walked on the Eurorail naked. Uh, first time I was ever naked at a nude beach 
as a young man. And first time I think I ever like beat off with some random Germans in some bushes up above the beaches at Sieges. And we just fell in love with it. Oh, it was so amazing. We rented these bikes and we would just bike all over the place and lock our bikes over the middle of nowhere. And we had a blast. We rented this little random hotel room that had just a shower and a sink, but the bathroom was down the hall. But the shower was like a closet shower. And every time I would turn, my butt would hit the water and it would turn it off. That's how little it was. That was the first trip though that I felt like because we had been gone from America for so long and not seeing any news or any newspapers or anything, I felt like, God, is America still there? It was like the one thing I was really worried about. So when we went back to London, I was like, I need to get a newspaper. I need to see if anything's going on. And sadly, when we got home, this is back before people had international cell phones, we had found out that one of our really good friends, Jim Rose, had died. He had died in his sleep. He had taken oxycodone and Ambien and was dead. And he was buried the next day because he was Jewish, and so they do it within 24 hours. So we had missed all the services and everything. When I was 30 years old, I had decided that I wanted to go back to Portugal to the Azores Islands with my mom, and my sister decided she was going to go as well. Um, we had a fucking unbelievable time. It was crazy how much fun we had. One of the funnier things that had happened, though, was that we one night were invited to a dinner at some family, distant family, or I think it was actually a neighbor's that used to live by us, but now had moved to another area. And so they had made this giant dinner and spread for us and whatnot. And they had this guy show up, and he was a cousin of the neighbors, if I remember correctly now. And he was fucking hot. He was from two islands over, and I was like, oh my God, he was so fucking hot. And so my sister and I, not thinking that he spoke any English, were talking back and forth to each other of which one of us was gonna get him. And we were trying to figure out if he was gay or not. Well, come to find out at the end of the dinner, he started talking to us in English. So he understood the th everything we were saying the whole time, the two idiots we were. We laughed so hard on that trip that my uncle told us we were gonna get fat from laughing. That's how much we laughed. A couple months later, I actually then went to Lisbon to run a half marathon. And I remembered running there and the men were yelling at me because I wasn't going as fast as they wanted me to go, like telling me to hurry up, hurry up. And I could not convert kilometers into miles, the whole fucking race. I was so lost. I could not fucking figure out where I was. I just was not in the right headspace to be able to do any basic math. It was really annoying. On that trip, I decided I wanted to go see Castile de Georges, which is the castle of King George, which is in the downtown area of Lisbon where all the other monuments and different things that you really want to see are. And I got there and I realized, one, I'd forgotten my camera. So I'd go back to my hotel, which was like 12 stops on the train, went back. And as I was walking up the castle steps, I hit a patch of sand and I fucking ate it, man. I went straight down the stairs, my camera in hand, my camera banged the rails the whole time down. It still worked, but it was pretty freaking banged up after that trip. I also one night decided I was gonna go to a bathhouse. And you know, an American bathhouses are pretty well lit and pretty well identified. Well, I pull up and I'm like, what the hell, where am I? And so there was these two men sitting out there and whatnot. And I kind of went up to the door and whatnot, and one of them said to me in Portuguese, you know, are you looking for the bathhouse, or are you looking for the, the sauna, they called them. And I said, yes, and so he just directed me upstairs. And you went upstairs, and it's so interesting how their bathhouses are so much different than they are in the United States. There's like a common bar, there's no room assignments, they give you these little weird slipper things, and kind of like a towel, some guys had robes on, and they really have saunas and that kind of thing. Well. People were there. It wasn't, I wouldn't say a busy night, but the guy that was interested in me was from Cape Verde, which is another Portuguese area where they speak Portuguese. It's kind of at the bottom of Spain. And I was just kind of so surprised that 
of all the people, this guy was interested in me. And so he and I hung out and kind of fooled around a little bit. But I'll tell you what, it was really weird kind of being sexual with somebody in your native language. Because, I mean, my Portuguese is Portuguese at home or with family and whatnot. It's not, you know, different types of moans or saying different things sexually in your native language. It was so weird to me. I think I may have even giggled once or twice because I just thought it was just so strange. I then met my ex Craig. I know I had a Greg and a Craig. Trust me, for my poor Portuguese family who can barely conjugate those type of verbs, it was a challenge. I met Craig and we eventually moved in together, bought a house and bought our lake house in Wisconsin. And we both liked to travel. And Craig's work was, he was a vice president for a psychology school in Chicago. And so he worked with a lot of different universities in a lot of different locations, mostly for enrollment and academics. But that meant he oftentimes got to go a lot of different places. I was finishing grad school and I was working on my thesis and I had been given a quarter to work on my edits for my thesis from my advisor before I submitted it. And I was actually already done, but I used the time to take some time off and go with Craig on a trip. For 35 days, we went to India, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives Islands. It was one of the most amazing trips I think I'd ever been on. One, India is amazing. We went to five different cities in India, and then I did another day in another city by myself. And I'll tell you, it is amazing. You will see things that you've never seen before. Some of it is hard to digest. And there are concepts around the way that they consider work or having a job that you might think is beneath you, but to them, it's a job and it's money and they don't seem to mind. It's really challenging for us from the West. And the one thing in India that I think is just so funny is because his sunglasses are so expensive, they kind of almost like look at you as if you're a celebrity or get really close because you have sunglasses on. And so I was wearing Ray-Bans the whole time. And one time my driver even commented on almost three hour drive the whole time about my sunglasses. The Maldives Islands are what you think they would be, amazing. But I had read prior to us going that you have to be very careful because the sun is so intense there. And the first day we got there, we were just kind of walking around, kind of looking at where our room was and, and what the little island had to offer. And we got fucking so sunburnt, you wouldn't even believe it. Well, then we had to buy aloe at the hotel. It was $38 and it was that cheap banana boat aloe. Our first two days, at the Maldives Islands, we stayed in a little hut right on the beach, and then we got upgraded to one of those little huts above the water where the floor in the room actually had glass so you could look down into it, and you could jump off the back of your room on this little balcony, and then there was a little shower out there that would pump water on you before you went back up to your room. It was fucking amazing. You would swim with little sharks, with stingrays, and they just all would kind of leave you alone and just swim right by you. It was so cool. We went on a snorkeling trip where they took us out into the reef and they dropped us off and the boat kind of went ahead of us and we snorkeled along the reef all the way down into this other area. We saw whale fish and we saw the giant turtles. It was one of those things though that I will tell you, you had to like first take a kind of a deep breath before you went and started snorkeling because it was like almost you, like you were left in the middle of nowhere and you could see all the way down. And so it was a little scary at first, but I was like telling myself, just take a deep breath. You're fine, you're fine. And like clockwork, the last night, Craig and I got in a fight. Craig thought I was looking at somebody or something and made a big fuss about it. So we traveled two days in airports and 24 hours inside of an airplane and didn't speak to each other the whole time. And when we had a layover, we walked separately by ourselves because we were that, I was literally, I thought we were gonna break up at that point. I was so mad at him because he was such a little jerk over nothing. He thought I was looking at somebody and I wasn't. 
he was a little jealous. And every time I would like turn my head, he would go, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? I'm like, nothing. Relax. Craig and I also went to the Azores Islands with my mom one year. My mother was completely unlike herself. She was so social, ready to go. One night it was like 10.30 at night or 11 o'clock and we were sitting there laying on the couch. And she's like, aren't you guys getting dressed? We're like, getting dressed for what? She's like, there's a festival down the street I wanna go to and you guys are driving me, let's go. And I'm like, oh my God, what is she doing? And so we got up and went with her to this festival till like two in the morning. Craig and I also went on our own trips, our own leisure trips. And we went to Aruba one time where he wanted to go see these special pools and we rented a Jeep and we got up to where the area was to go start to the pools. It was four wheel driving like giant boulders and whatnot. Well, when we got to the top to start going down towards the pools, it started to pour rain. So we had a Jeep, we put the top down before. So we were trying to put the top back up. As we opened the Jeep doors, the door slammed into the side of the Jeep and dented both sides. And I swore we were gonna be buying a fucking Jeep in Aruba and they didn't even notice. Another time we went to Mexico, to Cancun, and we rented a Jeep to go to Tulum and I got it stuck in the sand and had to have the police tow us out. The next time we went to Cancun, Craig um, and I were body surfing and before I knew it, we were pulled out so far that Craig couldn't touch the bottom and started to hyperventilate and was going under and I had to keep pulling him up and pushing him up above the water, which is, I know what you're not supposed to do. And we had to wave our hands and be rescued by the lifeguards. And when we were on the beach, he's like, are you okay? You seem like you're upset. I'm like, Craig, I just almost witnessed you dying. I need a minute, okay? And then another time we went and took his dad for his dad's 50th birthday to Cancun and Tulum. And that trip, we went to this place called Shalha, which is like a natural water park that ends up turning into the ocean. They have all these really cool pools and different things. And I was drinking just pina coladas. When we got back on the bus, which it was like a tour bus thing that you paid to go on, my legs were completely swollen and I was like, oh fuck, I'm getting a DVT. So I'm like, shit. So I started drinking tons of water and I walked the hour and a half back from Tulum to Mexico on the bus. And when we stopped in Cancun, I continued to walk for another three hours and I slept with my legs up that night because I'm like, I'm not getting an IVC filter here because God only knows if they take them out of somebody else and put them in you. Needless to say, mine and Craig's travels uh, were always very adventurous and very full of lots of different problem-solving solutions that we needed to figure out. And sadly, right before we were about to get married, we had sent out Save the Dates and I decided that I didn't want to be married and we weren't going to continue that relationship. We are still friends. We do talk. I still talk to Greg as well. Most of my exes, except for the most recent one, which was a total scammer and liar, I speak to and the only reason why I don't speak to him is because he doesn't speak to me. But I digress. In 2017, my new friend in San Francisco, Lynette, her parents had died uh, very shortly before I had met her, very close to each other, and she had a boyfriend that broke up with her. So she was in a very deep, deep depression. And so for Christmas, I had her come over to my house and I presented her with a video. And the video was all these places in Europe and then her and I going in February. So I bought us trips to go to London, Paris, Amsterdam, and Berlin. She had never been to Europe and there we were going for two weeks. I needed the vacation and she needed the vacation. All my hopes were set on London. I was for sure I was gonna fuck my way through London. Not one single fucking person. Nobody would get off the pot. It was so fucking annoying. We go to Paris, totally not into Frenchmen. Oh my God, did I have a blast. We went uh, one night to this amazing dinner and they served us this most amazing souffle that I actually had tears coming out of my eyes and Lynette was dying laughing because I never understood the tears of joy, but this souffle was so amazing, tears were coming out of my eyes. 
we drank two bottles of champagne at dinner and we were walking back to our Airbnb, which was on the eighth floor of a staircase all the way up. And I was now like, I need to go pee, Lynette. So we were walking back and it was kind of getting late. And there was like this bar along the way. And so we stopped there, but there was the hugest line to go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not gonna make it, let's go. So we walk as fast as we can. And Paris is not the easiest place to kind of sneak into like an alley or like there really isn't alleys because the streets are the alleys. Even between cars, there's not really a lot of space. And so we get to the fucking apartment and I go storming up those stairs and whatnot. Well, it had a skeleton key. And when I got there, I could not get the skeleton key to undo. So next thing I knew, I just pissed my pants right in the fucking doorway. I was like, Lynette, stay down there. I took off all my clothes, got the shower. I'm like, all right, you can come up. And I just took a shower. I was like, I don't give a fuck at this point. The next night, I went to the leather bar in Paris. Lynette decided to stay in. And oh my God, the boys were out of control. I was like the new fresh meat in the bar and they were loving it. And I fucking came home at like six in the morning. And that next day, Lynette wanted to go to Chanel to buy this $5,000 fucking purse. And I was like dead dying. I fell asleep in Chanel up against the fucking shoe rack. And she comes over and she's like, did you want some champagne? And I'm like, no, I want to go home. Let's go. Next, we went to Amsterdam and Lynette was so ecstatic because she could buy that pot in a muffin thing and she just kept eating it. So she was just giggly the whole time and whatnot. And we had a really good time. The first night we got there, I decided I wanted to get a haircut. So we went and found this salon that was right around the corner from our hotel and everyone there working was these gay guys. And so they were asking us if we were going to the party tonight. And I said, what party? And there was apparently some big party that only happens once a month. And this month's theme was underwear. And so it was like $35 to get a ticket. And I asked Lynette if she wanted to go. And she said no. So I went. Okay. It was a combination between a circuit party and a leather bar. But everybody was dirty. And it was so much fucking fun. You would have thought after that around 3 in the morning I would have had enough, right? No. So then I come back to my room. And I'm looking at Scruff and I forget some other sites. And all of a sudden some boys start talking to me. And so I meet a boy and I end up going to his place. And I did my Google Maps and whatnot. And I realized on the way back that the hotel front door was locked because of, you know, safety and whatnot. And so you had to buzz to be let back in. So they buzzed me and let me back in. And then I went back up to the room. I met another boy. So then I went to his house. And then they buzzed me back in. And then I met another boy and I went to his house. And let me tell you, I got lost on that last one. I couldn't get the Google Maps to work and I was like, fuck. And all the streets kind of like started to look the same name and I'm like, oh my God. I got back to the hotel with barely 35 minutes to pack and get in a fucking car to go to the airport. We were so lucky. We got in an Uber right before the Uber strike stop, uh, started in Amsterdam. I think it was like a two hour flight to Berlin. Maybe not even that much. I fucking passed out, man. I was done because I had been running around since like eight that night. I was fucking done. And so we get to Berlin and I had, you know, huge high hopes for bathhouses and sex and all this different stuff and whatnot. And I turned into a complete history nerd. It was amazing when you started to see some of the things you remembered learning about in school and in college. For four days, all I did was run around looking at different history and just taking in as much of it as I could. One day, Lynette was amazing at finding different places to go eat. She had found where the best schnitzel was, according to Yelp. And so it was like a three-mile walk, and it was kind of nice, so we decided we were going to walk. And so it was in this giant mall complex, and 
the mall is different than any other mall because it's all owned by the same store. So this like four story building that's giant is owned by the same store company. And they had a restaurant in there and that's where the schnitzel was. And I will tell you, it was the most amazing schnitzel you've ever had in your whole life. But they also had a Vouvclico stand where you could get single shots of champagne. And before we knew it, we had had like probably two or three bottles between us. And we had to walk back three miles. We fucking laughed so hard. And I think it must have taken us hours to get back because we were fucking so drunk and laughing so hard. It was the funniest fucking thing. I mean, we were laughing at the stupidest shit, but yet we were so fucking drunk and having a blast. Now, I forgot to tell you, prior to this trip, I was the director of imaging at a major hospital in San Francisco. I was what you would call type A. Every week, I would go to bed at 10 o'clock exactly, and I would wake up at 5 a.m. On Saturday, I would wake up at 5 a.m., I would do all my laundry, and I would go shopping and get everything done by noon, so that way I could go out and enjoy the weekend by noon. On Sunday nights, I would come back to my apartment, and I would start cooking dinners around seven o'clock, and I would make the same three dinners for the week, so I'd have leftovers. And in the three and a half years that I was there, I had not taken a vacation. So this was my first time taking any time off. So I really needed it, and I was just going to do everything different that I was not doing in San Francisco or in actually just enjoying my life. I've never drank so much Nespresso coffee as I did on that trip, but man, it was good. And that was the last trip. I've had trips planned. Like I was going to go to Palm Springs right when the pandemic happened. My birthday's at the end of March. Obviously everything shut down in April. And most recently I was going to go to Chicago this past summer. This summer actually did just pass to market days, but there was a conflict with my work. And so I had to cancel the trip. All in all, I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of really fun experiences. I would say that traveling is, you know, amazing. It can be a little exhausting and sometimes just a little nerve wracking, but usually I look at it like I'm on vacation and I just relax. I have a very strict policy that you put your cell phone away. And I actually like to take my regular photo camera and take pictures. I enjoy, uh, you know, just being a little bit different and enjoying my environment. I'm not a scheduled person. I will buy tickets and I will put together a tentative itinerary with suggested things to do in each day, but if they don't happen, they don't happen. And I always kind of put in a little bit of like, if you want a day to just sit in the park and eat baguettes and pastries and do nothing, do you have the time for that? I don't like being overscheduled because that's how my regular life is sometimes. I've been to almost every state in the United States, except for I think three. I've been to lots of places in Europe and one place in Asia, South America, I've been to a couple places. So yeah, all in all, pretty lucky and uh, pretty well-versed. I have not been down under, which is on my list. My bucket list of places I'd still like to see. I would love to see Prague. I'd love to see Istanbul. I'd love to see Egypt. I would love to go to Australia. And I would love to go to the Galapagos Islands. And I've heard amazing things about Thailand. I would love to do that as well. But really, isn't all travel amazing? I would go kind of anywhere, I think, that was outside of my regular comfort zone or home. I think that's the best part about it, is going out and just immersing yourself into something else and letting your eye just be amazed by what you see and learning how to be accepting of other cultures and people's differences and their religions, as well as appreciating the comforts of your own country and your own life. I think that's the best part. Well, and then, you know, of course, the dick, the international dick. As long as they don't talk dirty in their language, I'm totally okay. 
You'll learn more about that in the episode that was supposed to be sex, masturbation, and online etiquette. I'll talk about that quite a bit. Well, my little dirties, this is another conclusion to an episode. I want to thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe, follow, leave a review, and tell your friends. This is a Mo story. Have a good week. And thank you again for listening.